Welcome to this week's episode of the Health Via Modern Nutrition Podcast, HVMN Podcast. This is your host, Jeffrey Wu. We've had a little bit of a hiatus in releasing new episodes, but we're now going to be back at it, and we're going to kick off this new, better, more improved version of the HVMN Podcast with Dr. Lat Mansour, our research lead at HVMN, and we got some really interesting new research coming out of Kayla Vaughn on ketonesters to discuss today. Dr. Mansour, Lat, great to have you on the program. Great to be back, uh, to be talking to our audience and sharing our knowledge. Yeah. So what has happened over the last few weeks, months within the ketonester space? I would say that there's just almost increase in new publications on this field. So it's pretty exciting to be in our business where we obviously stay up to date on the published stuff. But of course, we're also working on our own stuff and also very closely tied with active groups who are currently researching stuff and hearing tidbits and little hints of new data, new observations, new mechanisms that haven't yet been fully released and published yet. So pretty exciting times, no? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, as, as we said before, people are still trying to research more around ketonester, around exogenous ketones, different types of molecules, as well as the protocols um, that one should be, be using uh, to optimize whatever outcomes they're trying to get. So it's very exciting to find out more um, news around that area. Maybe before we get into the specific paper, and the specific paper we're going to be discussing was released in August 2020, titled Bicarbonate Unlocks the Ergogenic Action of Ketone Monoester Intake and Endurance Exercise. First author, Chiu Puff, with the corresponding or senior author, Professor Peter Hesbel. One of the best-run studies I've seen with exogenous ketones in sports today, and I think it really builds on their corpus of data in the last few years, looking at a number of both ergogenic acute use of ketone esters pre-exercise, as well as an emerging and I think exciting work stream around the post-exercise recovery aspects or applications of ketones as well. Yeah, and I think this is especially interesting in the light of their previous um, publication a few months ago, which says ketone acid does not improve performance, nor does it increase glycogen sparing um, sort of effect that has been seen by Cox et al. in 2016. So a few months later, they published this paper now that we are going to discuss. Um, it's, it's very, very um, relevant. Yeah, so for folks that want to get our deep dive on the previous Hezbollah paper, tune in probably a few weeks back in June or July to see that episode. And then maybe as before we dive into the deep technical science here, I want to just give a quick intro to myself and, and, and Lat here. I know that we've gotten a lot of new recent subscribers and followers, and we recently was featured on an awesome new Netflix docu-series titled Unwell. So you might have seen me talk about fasting, metabolism, ketosis, and also do a lot of exercises, including pull-ups and muscle-ups. So again, I'm getting a lot of friendly teasing that all I'm doing in between work is a bunch of pull-ups in the office. So yes, that is real. I, I, I like to incorporate physical activity within in my work day because I think that's just a much more natural way of integrating exercise and fitness into our busy work schedules. But that's a different topic aside. But to introduce ourselves here, Dr. Lat Mansour did his PhD at Oxford. 
in the physiology anatomy genetics department, I would say really dove deep in the mechanisms of metabolism as it relates to hypoxia, low oxygen exposure, as well as diabetes as an interesting metabolic model. So uh, do you want to add anything to that? If I'm dis- Am I describing your graduate work properly? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, that, that was pretty much, you know, in a nutshell. Um, so my, my graduate work was investigating the effect of hypoxia in type 2 diabetic heart. So specifically looking at the heart and the substrate metabolism, as well as utilization within the diabetic heart. How is it different from a healthy heart? And how does it react to hypoxia um, based on the HIF activation? Yeah, and it was kind of cool to see that the... Uh, in- I was going to say inventor, but it's not really invented. The, uh, one of the original scientists that helped describe the HIF action actually won the Nobel Prize in 2019. So, and I, I know that you were able to work you know, closely or, or, or be around and, and affiliated with that, with that luminary uh, scientist. So it's cool to see that lineage of scientific pedigree. And for myself, I have a background in computer science, but I think that almost provides me an edge in talking about some of these subjects because they're so cross-functional and cross uh, Cross domain, so really applying and bringing a systems thinking approach towards human performance. And I've been lucky to work with folks like yourself with that, I would say, more traditional background within physiology to uh, be, I would say, at the forefront of an exciting area of research that's constantly evolving. So let's dive into the paper. So, where do we want to start here? How about let's go into the headline first? and talk about what happened and why this is such an interesting paper. And then let's go into the protocols and methods and then describe exactly what was studied. And then we can have a discussion on applications and takeaway points. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, and since you said we have you know, quite a few new subscribers and new followers that are listening in, I think it might be worth just a little bit of a background to just relate to them the findings of Cox et al. previously, as well as Haspel's uh, group previously, and how did it lead to the current findings, I think, or the current paper. I think that might be helpful for people following our discussion. Cool. Okay. So I'll describe the headline takeaway on the key results from Hasbol, and then I'll hand it over to you to talk about the evolution and the corpus of, of work that has led to this specific study. Sure. So quick headline is that when you stack or combine sodium bicarbonate, which is a scientific name for baking soda, which is quite a common sports supplement, and you stack that with ketone monoester, you actually see a profound increase in performance, upwards of 5% increased power output than either ketone ester alone or sodium bicarbonate alone. So the takeaway point here for athletes or other use cases is that when one is considering using ketone esters in their acute pre-exercise nutrition protocol, it looks like this is a very seminal piece of research suggesting that you have to, you should really be stacking sodium bicarbonate with ketone ester to reduce some of the potential acidosis or increase in blood acidity, that really huge spike of ketones uh, impacts your own system. So that's a headline news. When you're using ketones, definitely consider using sodium bicarbonate. And when that is combined together, you're seeing 5% increased power output 
and then ketones or sodium bicarbonate alone. That's a cool enough result in itself, but I think what's more exciting to me is the underlying mechanisms and the metabolism that drives this potential result. So that's what we'll be exploring today. But before we dive into the mechanisms, I think Lat is uh, completely smart to say, hey, let's review the corpus here and walk through the literature that informs and asks the questions that was solved in this research study. Um, so I'm not going to go too much into detail because that will take too much time. I'll give you an overall overview of what has been done before and how did it lead to today's um, discussion. So previously in 2016, Cox et al. group in Oxford with uh, Professor Kieran Clark did a study using ketone ester and all the participants who are athletes they were fasted and they were given ketone ester and glucose and then they were put through a pre-fatigue exercise regime and then a time trial afterwards in which they saw an increase of 2% uh, improvement together with uh, ketone ester and glucose, so stacking glucose and ketone ester. Fast forward a few years later, Haspel's group a few months ago published another paper specifically looking at performance. Now, the difference, the big difference here is that the athletes involved in this study, they were not fasted. So the argument is that if you are going to take ketones as an athlete in a race or in training, um, you probably won't be going into the race or training fasted, meaning that it is more ecological for someone to take ketone ester in a fed state. So that's why Haspel's group a few months ago in that study publish the study using fed athletes going into the exercise. Now, what they have seen is what very is the interesting part that sets the results apart between Haspel's group and Cox's group. Haspel's paper a few months ago found that even stacking ketone ester with glucose, there was no difference in performance. It is not detrimental. Now, we have to make sure that people understand it, the, taking the ketone ester did not show any detrimental effect. However, Haspel's group did not see an improvement. And secondly, they did not see the glycogen sparing effect as seen in Cox's paper. So this is interesting because Cox's paper, the athletes went in fasted, which means the glycogen stores have already been depleted. And then going into the pre-fatigued state with an empty glycogen tank with only glucose that has been given to them versus the fat state. So we can unpack the metabolism later on um, uh, while we discuss this paper. Another interesting finding in Haspel's paper is that they saw a consistent decrease in pH with the consumption of ketone ester. And that decrease in pH was also reflected by the decrease in bicarbonate in blood. Now, what, they, what I assume they have found um, is that the change of pH may affect the performance. And therefore, that leads towards today's paper that we are discussing. What if we counteract the pH change with sodium bicarbonate and make sure that the blood is not too low in pH? And will that affect performance? And that's why stacking sodium bicarbonate comes in. Awesome. I think that was a super good summary of the trajectory of inquiry here, where... We saw an initial signal of an ergogenic impact on the use of ketones, exogenous ketones, ketone ester. But I think what was further elucidated was that that paradigm or that study context was quite optimized to show the max differential between possible fuel substrates. So I think from a metabolism study perspective, 
fasting made a much more stark and contrasted difference between the different substrates. And I think Hezbollah's group, and I think as you put it quite nicely, looked at a more ecological protocol, which was much more mirrored to an actual application in field use case of said supplements. And I think the cool part of just stepping back from an application perspective is that in sport, in practice, you don't just take one little intervention, which is useful for a randomized controlled trial in science, in the clinic, but that's not how real life, but that's not how real life works. And that's why I really like this uh, POF paper because they realized in their last paper that acidosis effect of having a huge bolus of ketones might be impacting the downstream metabolism. And another interesting thing was the carbonate, the bicarbonate levels, that buffering solution that our liver so uh, helpfully stores was utilized a lot to balance out the acidosis. So quite an elegant proposition to say, hey, when you have this interesting substrate of ketones injected into a system, what else can you supplement around it to mitigate the downside and preserve the upside? And it looks like this study here has shown that you can, again, do that. And it's so, I think it's so freaking cool to be able to theoretically predict and hypothesize that, okay, this is our general understanding of how the body works. And here's something that uh, we trade off for elevated ketones. We trade off blood acidity and bicarbonate uh, sapping. But if we supplement against that, you can resolve the downside and keep the upside. And it's so cool that the data has panned out to show that. Yep, 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 definitely. So... Let's go into the actual protocol so we can talk about exactly what was studied and, and the setup, and then go into some of the more interesting metabolic questions. So do you want to take away on the studies and the methods here? Sure. They follow the previous protocol run by the study a few months ago, which include firstly an intermittent cycling, which is three hours of intermittent cycling of various um, intensity, and then followed by a 15-minute time trial and then an all-out sprint at the end at about 175% lactic threshold. So that's the sprint at the end. So in terms of the exercise, it's very similar protocol as previously, you know, they have shown the decrease in bicarbonate and the decrease in pH. So they want to keep that constant. What they have added now is sodium bicarbonate. So let's talk a bit on the nutritional intervention side. First of all, they had included um, sodium bicarbonate as early as two hours before exercise. So two hours before they will have breakfast together with 90 milligrams per kilogram of body weight of sodium bicarbonate. And then another two doses of 30 milligrams per kilogram of body weight sodium bicarbonate one hour and 30 minutes before exercise. So you, they basically load them up on sodium bicarbonate beforehand and then they go into the exercise. Mind you, during the exercise, the participants were also fed 50 um, milligrams per kilogram of sodium bicarbonate per hour during the intermittent um, cycling. And then KE was also introduced as early as one hour before, 30 minutes before, and 30 minutes into the intermittent uh, cycling. So they preload a lot of these substrates before they even start started the exercise um, session. And the amount of ketone ester was equivalent to two and a half bottles of HVMN ketone ester. In total. So a pretty solid amount Yeah, in, in those three boluses. Yep. So 25, 20, and 20 grams each. Yep. And I think it's important to note that this protocol is 
is very different than the Cox protocol that was published in 2016. And let's talk a little about the differences there. And again, explain the difference and uh, talk about, I think, the elegance of the POF setup. I think the one thing that I appreciate about this protocol that the, the, the KU LeBlanc group was looking at was that they were quite smart about preloading the, the baking soda. So for folks that have tried incorporating baking soda into their exercise, there's oftentimes like big GI distress, AKA, you know, pooping your pants or wanting to throw up, you feel nauseous. And they're loading the athletes up with quite a lot of bicarbonate. I mean, if you're a 70 kilogram person, 154 pounds, that's over 20 grams of baking soda. That's a lot. And I think most people will like report issues if you're just, if you're just pounding like a tablespoons of baking soda straight to your face. So I think it's cool to see that the folks on the Levon team were primed on the latest protocols in sports nutrition in the field and actually having a dose that makes sense. And I think that is important compared to some of the other research groups that just like feed people enough stuff to make them throw up. And I won't name the specific group, but there was another paper studying uh, different exogenous ketone precursors that detected actually ergolytic or performance decrements on exogenous ketones, but everyone that was using exogenous ketone groups were throwing up. So is it really the ergolytic effect of ketones or is it just because you didn't know how to dose the patients or the subjects properly and you're causing GI distress and you're just detecting GI distress worsens improvement? So I think the important point I want to make here is that the protocol and the context is so important, especially as you know, you and I, Lat, uh, we work with top athletes, top performers, and there is actually an art and science to how to properly dose different supplements for absolute optimal effect. And if the actual sports coaches and the sports physiologists are not talking to the academic scientists who have a very different understanding and the questions they're trying to answer, uh, you're going to be answering just different questions. Because on the sports side, and that's where I spend a lot of my time, I care about optimizing performance for everyone or, or for the athletes. And that's a different goal. All using the same tools, but a different goal than saying, hey, I'm trying to answer a physiology. I'm trying to answer a meta metabolism question. So I want to just like point out the elegance of the protocol. And then the one major thing that's different from the Oxford study and the Kay Levon study was the timing of that ketone ester bolus. So as you just noted, the ketone protocol, the Levon study, basically front-loaded all the ketones early in the race, where in the Oxford study, right before the critical time trial that showed that 2% performance in increase, there was a fresh bolus of ketones delivered right before that time trial. So but going into that time trial, the cyclists were at 3-plus millimole ketones, whereas in both the KU Levon studies with polycarbonate and ketones alone. There was no top up of ketones before that sprint period. So folks were going in at around one millimole ketones. And there's been some hypotheses by Kevin O'Fallon, who's a nutritionist physiologist with the uh, U.S. Army. He hypothesized the two, uh, two millimole threshold for an ergogenic action, which I think is a reasonable hypothesis. But our practical data and experience suggests that I would not even, I think two is a little bit low. I would target three millimole plus if you want to just use a straight 
baseline threshold for ergogenic performance of just ketones alone. Yep. Any thoughts on that? Like, would you would you dispute or, or debate me on you know where you think that sweet spot is? I think, given the current data in this Haspel's paper, um, one can also argue that you don't need the level of BHB or blood BHB to be even more than one millimolar to get the effect, as long as the residual ergogenic effect in combination with sodium bicarbonate was stacked up before. Now, that's the interesting part because going into the time trial where they saw the improvement, they have less than one millimolar BHB levels. And to me, that shows that do we need that high BHB level at the time of the last sprint or at the time of that last victory lap before you finish the race? So that remains the question now. Yes, we, I think, I, yes. Yeah. I, think that's a, I think that's a subtle point. So to clarify my point, I think without external supplements, I, my proposed threshold would be a little bit higher than O'Fallon's two millimole bottom threshold, but maybe that's irrelevant. Maybe that's like, hey, that's a, a boring, impractical academic threshold because if we're talking about sports performance, we're going to be stacking all sorts of stuff. I'm going to be stacking caffeine probably on top of all this stuff. I think you're, you're, you're posing the more interesting question is that, do you even need super physiologically high ketones to see performance benefit with this insight around buffering? So maybe this is the perfect time to talk more about that. So how does bicarbonate even interplay into the system? Can you describe why our body, why the liver stores bicarbonate? Like what is the overall role of bicarbonate in the body? I think... Overall, the um, pH homeostasis that happens in the body is to make sure that all our proteins, our enzymes are all behaving optimally. So in each organ, in each part of our body, our systems, the environment will regulate itself to make sure we are activating all the right enzymes at an optimal environment, be it pH, be it temperature be it ion fluxes. So those things will determine whether certain enzymes are being activated or deactivated or even regulate to what extent that enzyme is being being activated or deactivated. So I think that on its own showed the body is at work when you take ketone ester and you produce ketoacidosis or mild ketoacidosis and you saw a decrease in bicarbonate. So you, it shows that the body is trying to counteract that acidity. But the question that Haspel's sort of came up with in the previous study is that, is that detrimental? Is that acidosis detrimental to performance that negates the benefits of ketone ester, that negates the ergogenic effect of ketone ester? So that's why they wanted to add sodium bicarbonate to see if we counteract that and make sure that our blood pH level is within that optimal you know, functioning level, will it be different? Yeah. And, you know, well stated. And I think this also just opens up a broader can of worms that we can touch upon here, which is that some of the misconception or discussion when people are being introduced to the ketogenic diet broadly, and, and is that, is this an acidic diet? Because I am producing ketones endogenously. It's beta-hydroxybutyric acid is the acid form of, of, of the ketone body, beta-hydroxybutyrate. Is this necessarily bad for me? 
especially when folks might have heard of ketoacidosis from a type 1 ketoacidosis, which is a dangerous state or unhealthy state when a type 1 diabetic, which does not produce insulin, has uh, no way to use glucose as energy, and there's no uh, inhibition of ketone production endogenously through that insulin uh, feedback loop, and then ketone production goes up to 20 to 25 millimole, which is basically 510x where you should be normally. And that's a, a, a dangerous place where your blood pH goes down. So it's been interesting to just rehabilitate and further understand this metabolic state where it went from something that seemed quite natural. People were studying ketogenic diets 100 plus years ago for good effect. And then I would say within the last probably 50 years in the modern era, ketosis has always been associated with ketoacidosis, which is this runaway state of ketone production, which is bad. And now finally it's being rehabilitated and saying, hey, this is actually quite a normal state. But it would be helpful to just unpack that question there, which is, does ketosis necessarily mean acidosis? And how do we think about that? I think we need to look at it um, in very different perspectives, because if you're talking about ketogenic diet, these people are fat and keto adapted, meaning they probably metabolize ketones much more readily compared to a non-keto person right? That means the body itself, like I said, it will regulate itself and they probably can adjust that sort of pH change. But then again, that shouldn't change the pH that much in terms of diet because it happens quite gradually. Now, if you compare that to exogenous ketones, where you are pouring in pure ketone esters into your body it, on a very supraphysiological supra level, of course, it's going to spike up the BHP level. Of course, it's going to you know, de decrease the pH. And on top of that, these are athletes who are exercising, meaning they are producing lactic acid as well. So that also contributes towards the lowering of the pH. So you have to take all of that into account. Whereas ketogenic diet, you are at rest, you are doing, you know, going about your day, not much, you know, even if you're exercising, you are not raising your BHP level up to three and above. You are just maybe you know maintaining at one or two. The body is a very powerful buffer system that makes sure that none of these parameters go out of hand. So I don't think acidosis is something that someone on a ketogenic diet should be particularly beware of or particularly be careful of, unless if you're type one diabetic, if you are diabetic and and have gone through acidosis before or some form of metab uh, met metabolism. Uh, disorder that warrants that worry around acidosis. Yep. I think that's well stated again. And I think from my perspective on just on the more practitioner side and just talking and seeing hundreds, thousands of people transition to fasting or, or a ketogenic diet, as you, I think you stated quite nicely, this is a gradual slow effect and the body stores bicarbonate in its liver as that buffer. And if it's so gradual and you consume food and, and consume bicarbonate through water, through food, it's a quite common mineral within a lot of our consumption of food. So there's never that shock of ter in terms of lowering your pH so dramatically. And I think the difference with an exogenous ketone bolus, that's quite substantial when we're looking for optimal metabolic or, or, or physical performance, that shock is basically produces a quick shock in our natural buffering system, which drops that pH. And I think that's especially exacerbated when you have 
<laughs> super athletes pushing up their lactic uh, acid production as they're turning over uh, glucose into lactate because they're hitting their uh, their the threshold in terms of aerobic to anaerobic. So it's so the so the to summarize for folks who are tracking along here, the acidosis question is interesting from a science metabolism perspective and has some utility from the top end sports performance and eking out those last percentages of improvement. But for you and me and probably a majority of our listeners who are using ketogenic diet or fasting or exogenous ketones for more lifestyle, longevity, health and wellness type applications, it's probably a non-factor given that we have quite ample buffering capacity that our, our liver stores in terms of bicarbonate anyways. Cool. So I think we covered nicely the broader context behind buffering, bicarbonate, and acidosis yeah. in, in, in a nice way. So hopefully much more further research potentially in something that I, I, I think is fascinating and we should talk more about it. But again, let's focus on the paper and let's talk through some of the other key results. So in terms of the results, there are quite a few key points here that I would like to point out. First of all, the bicarbonate and ketone ester group seems to increase the blood BHB earlier on in the exercise. So as those as they're preloaded with ketone ester and bicarbonate and glucose, they seem to have about 0.5 to 0.8 increased millimolar of BHB blood compared to the control groups. So that's interesting. So whether or just to compare to the ketone ester alone group. Yeah, compared to all the other groups, yeah. I think that result is actually interesting. Yeah, let's talk about this specific data point. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, so so the question remained, you know, does the pH change increase um, liver uh, ketone production or, you know, turnover rate of ketones? Or does sodium bicarbonate somehow increase bioavailability of ketone monoester? Um, so that remains to be packed up. Or a deuce uptake, right? Because... What's happening is there's, there's higher blood levels in the blood. So that yes. could also imply less acceptance of ketones into tissue. So it's being metabolized slower. So that's, that's one, one point of the results that, that, that is very interesting. Yep. Second point, if you have noticed, there is no significance in glucose in all the groups, which is very different from what we have seen previously of when you take ketone ester, you see a decrease in glucose but there's no significant difference between groups here. So that I find very interesting. And I don't know the answer to this, but it's certainly contrasting compared to other studies, especially like Jonathan Little's group, where they use um, ketone ester to control glucose in obese and type 2 diabetic patients. Um, they saw a decrease in glucose, and th that has been shown quite consistently. Whereas in this study, there was no decrease in glucose. Across so, all arms across all arms. So we can't even say that... Even just ketonester alone? Even just ketonester alone, exactly. So that is interesting because mm. we can't even say that bicarb, you know, increase or decrease glucose metabolism and therefore kick up the um, blood BHB levels. So... Yeah, and I think I, I would just say that just Jonathan Little's group is more studying more therapeutic uh, results. So I would say that probably the protocols are a little bit different, right? Yeah, like they the, are at rest. They're, they're at rest. Yeah versus uh, athletes who are exerting, which would probably, again, releasing glucose to uh, fuel. And they're also pro 
probably not adding glucose into the protocol because obviously this is performance. They will have glucose in, uh, they have glucose included in the intake as well. Any other key result points to flag before discussing some of these insights that you've mentioned? So uh, another point is is the the meat of the study, which is the five percent improvement in the time trial. Now, do notice that after the time trial, they have to go through an all-out sprint session. And that lasts about one to two minutes, an average about one minute. And what they have seen is that there's no difference in the sprint session, but the 5% was only during the time trial. So we can sort of bring that into discussion later. So that's that's uh, the, one of the key points here as well. Cool. Which... Makes sense to me. So maybe we'll start with that point and then work our way back up. Yeah. So one of the things that I don't think has ever been debated is the potential for exogenous ketones to enhance straight anaerobic performance because that's completely in the paradigm of anaerobic glucosalactate, ATP, phosphocreatine system, and there's no known impact why ketones would benefit that energy system. Although I would say that there seems to be, again, this is more observational in terms of my experience working with athletes, potentially some CNS, central nervous system impact for maybe lifting weights or some cognitive effect where people feel stronger. But for well-trained athletes who are sprinting, their their CNS is probably dialed in and you might not necessarily be seeing a lot of difference there. Uh, But I'm not necessarily surprised to see that at 175% lactate threshold that you're not seeing any difference between the different arms because that's basically you're fully in the glycolytic metabolism. So ketones are a very minimal contribution at that point. Any, do you differ from that analysis from my end? No, I think, I think that's, that's very reasonable, very logical um, explanation to it. Yeah, and, and during the time trial as well, um, obviously they saw an increase in lactic acid. So there is... A few there are a few things that's happening there. There is a decrease of BHP level down to base level, um, which is less than one millimolar. There is increase in lactic acid, and even though they are being provided with sodium bicarbonate throughout, all three of these are happening at the same time. So that buffering system sort of worked towards buffering the increase in lactic acid, and there is no more BHP level. So we can't really pinpoint what causes the increase of the performance for sure and then subsequently the no significance the non-significance difference in the sprint session so what the authors what the authors speculate is that the buffering effect of sodium bicarbonate is being used up during the time trial and therefore that's why in sprint it doesn't affect it as much so in that sense i would love to see for future research um, for them to top up for the sprint session, maybe top up BHB levels or top up, you know, um, they are getting, they are getting bicarbonate, then they're getting glucose. So the only one that is not being topped up is ketoester. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that I do want to, I think that's exactly a good point to test, which is the straight acute threshold. I want it like, because I think that's kind of, I, I guess, a critique of the Hesel protocol, which is that through you know what you can top up anytime you want like why are we just front loading ketone esters here especially when you're tapping up bicarbonate and glucose throughout like we could definitely drip in ketone esters in that same mix 
So that's a fair critique. Yeah, it's like a car running out of fuel. And, you know, even though it's, it's barely minimum, if you top it up, it will be interesting to see if that, you know, managed right. to push through, you know, in terms of the, the effect. But also, there is also contrasting belief that if you top up right before the sprint, you might hinder the, you might hinder the performance because of glycolysis. Yeah, so I think that's, I, that's where I want to see the research, right? Because I think we can have this theoretical debate back and forth. And I think I don't have a dogmatic position on wh which way, but just maybe just turning to a car analogy, right? If ketones are like a NOS for your engine to like have a boost, why not have that NOS towards you know the middle or the end? Because you're already topping up with other supplements along the way. So I think that helps unpack a little bit there. And what was, and then the second point that was interesting. So another point that since we are on this topic about what could potentially be done to further the study or what could potentially be done to investigate, you know, the, the mechanism is that as you saw the increase in blood BHB earlier on pre-exercise as well as the early stages of the exercise, what I would love to see is some form of test during that early stage. Because all of them have gone, th gone through the intermittent cycling for three hours, which is done in a consistent pace. So everyone has gone through that pre-fatigue state in the same form. But what I would like to see, since the increase in BHP level happened so early, I would like to see if it's that early without pre-fatiguing, will there be an ergogenic effect? Whereas, because all of the studies up till now, they have included a pre-fatigue condition, because the premise is that ketonester may swap the substrate utilization more towards fat and ketones, and it may have glycogen sparing effect, and therefore make sure that endurance athletes can run further and or run faster towards the end. So, but then now that it showed, maybe it doesn't inhibit glycolysis as much, or maybe you might be able to see the effects earlier on, especially if adding bicarbonate, you will see the increase in, in blood BHB level at such an early stage. Maybe it's it might be good for more acute setting. Yep. And I think one thing that I've just seen consistently is that there is that proposed hypothesized inhibition of glycolytic pathways, and we just haven't really seen that. So I think that theoretical argument of exogenous ketones inhibiting glycolysis just hasn't panned out. Um, so not, I'm not saying that it is better for glycolysis. I say it has no impact on glycolysis, at least to a number of, you know, different studies. So that's just something to just say that like, I think the glycolytic inhibition story just seems to be a little bit overplayed given that I, th I think the body seems to adapt well with the, with the substrate utilization. It, it, maybe it's just smart enough to just we're going to shunt off these ketones that aren't being useful here. We're going to just bring in only the, the, the glucose and the lactate that is useful at this very, very high lactic range. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And I would love to see research being done in that area as well, because um, as a lot of people say, ketogenic diet, you, you might not, it might not be good for people who uh, does a lot of explosive exercises, a lot of weightlifting, heavy lifting. So uh, maybe, you know, having, sort of ketogenic diet or exogenous ketones, it may not inhibit those explosive exercises as much as people think it does. I would love to see that sort of research because 
I've, I've done ketogenic diet myself. I've done it for four weeks. It affected mildly my performance in the gym in terms of progressive load. However, what I've spoken to people about ketogenic diet and weightlifting in general, they say after six weeks and above, you should see a sort of a form of adaptation, which would then lead towards your strength recovering to your previous stage and also improving. So um, yep, the keto adaptation process. Exactly. Yeah, that seems, I would say, pretty, I would say, accepted within literature in, in, in the field that there's absolutely the adaptation process. One topic that I found especially fascinating was the observation that with the bicarbonate, the ketone levels remained higher. And what the authors suggested was, does bicarbonate increase or accelerate the hepatic ketogenesis effect? I think that's a really interesting observation and also just opens up a new realm of possibilities for me in terms of should we think and consider using bicarbonate as a way to more quickly keto adapt as someone is doing ketogenic diet or, or fasting? Because one of the most painful parts of getting keto adapted or going through fasting is that dip of energy when you have low glucose reserves and low ketogenesis or endogenous ketosis. So one of the things that we've recommended people to consider is taking some MCT caprylic acid, which we have an awesome product for, or HVM and ketone ester to help bridge that energy deficit during that critical phase when you have low glucose and low ketones. But I think the interesting result of this bicarbonate is that there's clearly some synergistic effect here. So maybe also add in some baking soda or bicarbonate to help increase endogenous ketone production on the same path. So that's an exciting potential exploration area. So Jeff, you were talking about hepatic uh, ketone production and how sodium bicarbonate might actually increase it. Now, uh, a question that I have for the authors is that I know that the athletes are not on ketogenic diet. They are given plenty of carbohydrates during the exercise and also preloading before the exercise, which means they will have insulin spikes going into the exercise. So, And we know that insulin naturally inhibits ketone production. And therefore, this seems to me as a protocol that possibly overrides the inhibition of ketone production by insulin, which I find very interesting. Yeah, I think that's an interesting potential explanation. Although I do like that the researchers, looks like, I don't know if it's necessarily published or it's a separate paper, but they did cite in the discussion that they observed that perfusing rat liver with sodium bicarbonate doubled hepatic production. So it might yeah. be a little bit of both where you boost endogenous production, yep. but also I think you have an interesting observational point where it also might impact the, 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 the feedback block of insulin on hepatic production. Yep. And that might be the underlying explanation but to me that doesn't fully capture why you would double uh, the production because yeah. you shouldn't have that insulin block in the initial point so maybe both things are, are, are happening or much work to be done at, at the very least yeah for sure um, and I would like to know the dosage for that um, liver perfusion as well because usually you know you basically inject uh, whatever substrate directly to an organ um, if it's much higher as well in terms of dosage, obviously you're going to get supraphysiological. Yeah, um, so levels. I think that's a good point. In vitro uh, injections, very, very unecological, may not be applicable, let alone this is also on a rat model, not humans. Um, and then another point that I think is worth noting is just the 
massive flux of ions between sodium, potassium, calcium across how these substrates are induced uh, in, into the system. You see that the calcium levels change, the potassium levels change, and I would say that maybe this is the bleeding edge of how all these substrates work for potential ergogenic benefit. And I think that's where the ion gradients, the ion flux, is what defines intramuscular or, or, or the muscle uh, tension and, and release. So to me, this almost opens up a deeper question where ketones, I think, were speculated to have just kind of a thermodynamic benefit or a metabolic benefit, but the actual underlying explanation might actually be due to how ketones and how bicarbonate actually changes the flux or the flow of the ions within cells. That might be the underlying explanation of why these performance benefits really are happening. And that's, I think, just a much less studied area. Yep. And that also corresponds with either acidosis or alkalosis, and then, you know, subsequently ketosis-induced regulation at a neuromuscular level. 100%. So let's wrap up here and transition this to main takeaways in terms of how you could use this interesting paper for your own day-to-day practice, whether you're someone who's using ketosis or ketones for metabolic health, or if you're looking to win gold medals. So I'll, I'll put my takeaways and you take takeaways and we'll wrap it up. So my takeaways here are for pre-acute use for sports exercise, absolutely stack bicarbonate with ketone ester. I think to me, like this piece of this, this work, this body of work has made it super compelling to me that you've got to reduce the potential acidotic effect of exogenous ketones, a big bolus of exogenous ketones and sodium bicarbonate seems to be do that job really, really well, really, really cheaply without GI issue. So that I think is now the new gold center for me. So when you're taking exogenous ketones or ketone ester pre-exercise or during exercise, stack that with carbohydrate and uh, bicarbonate. And for recovery, I think the standard recommendation of protein, carbohydrate, and ketones still remains and still stands very strong. Bicarbonate probably isn't necessarily that useful post-exercise, but it probably doesn't very much hurt other than buffer for the next bout. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, pretty much what you said, I agree 100%. Do note, though, as you said earlier in this uh, podcast, that Bicarbonate often, most often than not, will cause GI issues. So even if you're dosing, if you're stacking with bicarbonate, make sure you are dosing it appropriately. You know, just listen to your body, not go into a race or training feeling sick. Obviously, we don't want that. So make sure we've got the bicarbonates dosed correctly, the car- uh, carbs dosed correctly, ketone esters dosed correctly. Um, and I think we're good to go. Cool. And I think the future direction, I think we uncovered a bunch of interesting research questions under uh, underlying metabolism and physiology. And I think there's also that, that interesting question for me, can bicarbonate be used more effectively as part of healthy living, metabolic health, and fasting and ketogenic diet adaptation protocols as well? And I think this helped open up that interesting area of inquiry. So let's wrap it up there. I'm looking forward to the community's feedback and thoughts. This is, again, really at the bleeding edge of published science. It was published about a week ago. So we're just 
now digesting this live and giving our opinion, expert opinion, kind of on the cuff as we're talking and, and, and digesting all this new information. But I imagine that, you know, I know that there's a number of group groups currently still actively working and, and, and will be publishing. So our understanding of the space will continue to evolve. And Lat and I see this part of our mission to keep you all very much up to speed on the latest developments. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So as always, give us your comments, feedbacks, likes, and subscribes. Always much appreciated. Find me at Jeffrey Wu on Twitter or Instagram, or you can always find us on the company account at HVMN. Until then, talk to you guys all very soon. Thank you so much.